I don't know if you've ever had a day a little bit like what we're going to see here in the scriptures in just a little bit. Um, it's flat tire day. Have you ever had a day like that? You know, you wake up in the morning, you're doing great. You woke up on time. You've had your coffee. It was just right. You had it before the kids woke up. It was wonderful, uh, peaceful. You've done a little reading. You've done a little praying. Um, you get outside, the birds are singing. They're singing your favorite song, whatever that is. And for some of you, that would be really weird, but they're singing your favorite song. The blooms are out. There's, there's pink trees, there's white trees, all kinds of great things are happening. And then all of a sudden, the sound of a hydrogen balloon goes off. You feel like it's behind you, it's all around you. And suddenly you realize you have a flat tire. For you parents out there, this is... Uh, the school nurse just called honey and I can't get there. This is that day, all right? If you're a student here, this is maybe the girl that you want to ask to prom. Some other doofus has gotten down there and asked her first, which was going to be your strategy. And so now you're not real sure how this is going to work out for you. It's a day where you woke up and you thought everything was going to go in a certain direction and then it changed. It's a day where the, the circumstances, you thought you had it all mapped out a day filled with hope, a day filled with opportunity, and then everything changes. And honestly, if it were just about flat tires and school nurses calling here and there, if that were all that we had to deal with, it would be quite a bit simpler. But some days get much, much more difficult. The moments you never saw coming, the moments where you take an emotional hit right at the beginning of the day. There was that phone call. There was that turn of events. And sometimes the impossible shows up in your path and becomes a roadblock that you have no idea how you're going get, to get around it, get over it, get through it. Whatever it is, this obstacle has come and it absolutely stalls you out or it sends you in a direction you did not want to go in. A day that began with hope ends in tragedy. A day that begins with abundance ends in want. And there are moments when you just want to retreat and get away, but you are forced to keep going even though you are faced with impossible circumstances. I think of a man in our church whose name is Don. Two weeks ago, he had something he had never had before. He had three short seizures. An ambulance came and, and took him to Kennestone and he discovered, he and his wife discovered that he had what doctors are calling an inoperable brain tumor. Absolutely an impossible circumstance. I was praying with a friend following the last service and just everything's changed in her life. People who formerly were told her that they loved her now want nothing to do with her. And her life just feels, she has this weight, this heaviness on her. Life just feels impossible, but yet every day you've got to get up, you've got to keep going, you've got to go to work, you've got to keep doing the thing because life just keeps marching on even while you're carrying this impossible weight. So what do we learn about Jesus? The one who makes all things possible on a day when the impossible shows up in his life. I want you, if you will, to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. We'll be in John 6 today, and we're looking again at one of the miracles that Jesus performs. It's really interesting how John writes his book, because he writes with a certain pattern. He does things seemingly in a, in a specific way, and there's, there's all kinds of reasons that people talk about this. But, you know, John doesn't record everything. John doesn't record the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't record all the miracles of Jesus. He records seven of them. He doesn't record all of the teachings, but he 
He records seven I am statements that Jesus made. And John, he seems to understand that he brings a unique perspective and personality than the other gospel writers. And we're looking at a story this morning from John chapter six, six, and when you get there and maybe you've illuminated your Bible, you're on our app this morning, whatever it is, you're going to see the heading there and it's going to be like, oh, I've heard this story. I know this story, especially if you've been around church for a while, you've seen this on flannel graph at some point in your life. If you're over the age of 40, if you're under the age of 40 and you don't know what flannel graph is, God bless you. You don't need to know. Don't worry about it. And some of you Maybe you've never heard this story before or you haven't really been around church, but you've probably seen the movie. You've probably seen something about this. But I want us to look at it from a fresh perspective today and maybe look at it and and hopefully the Spirit of God will teach us things we've never seen before. It is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is covered in all four Gospels. It's in John chapter 6. And I'm going to read through the first 14 verses here. Verse 1 says this, After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, one of the things that I, I just want you to understand, rather than just saying a large crowd was following him, understand that they just keep following him because he keeps doing stuff. And even though John skips a lot of details, he wants us to understand that Jesus keeps teaching when he walks, when he goes from town to town, he keeps healing people, he keeps doing amazing things that later on John will just say, listen, there's just not enough books in the world to hold all the stuff that he did. But John just wants to understand people keep coming. The crowds are getting larger, no matter what Jesus does. And so when Jesus is moving, when Jesus is active, you just, you kind of stay tuned in. You don't want to miss anything he's doing. The only reason that you're going to miss is to go get somebody else who you think might be helped by him, who maybe needs healing, who maybe needs the teaching, but you're going to go get them as quick as you can. So you can re, re, be right back a part of the action. The scripture says Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. This is the second Passover that John talks about. He's talked about another one just about three chapters earlier. So he skipped now over a year. And I want you to understand again that the point for John is not details. So the things that he points out, he must feel like they are awfully important. Here's what you need to know about him if you don't already. John is called the beloved disciple. Now he calls himself that, but it's allowed. It's good. John is the guy who's always close to Jesus. John, the, one of the reasons why this is a great book to read, if you've, if you've never read a book in the Bible before, one of the reasons why John is a great place to start is because John shares literally from a place of proximity. Whenever John writes, he's writing from the front row. So you may see stories that you've heard about or read somewhere else, but they look even a little bit different from the book of John talking about Jesus, he says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing this large crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but I have a question, Jesus. Honestly, what are they among so many? A couple of observations here just just before we keep going. If you're the guy or girl in the room who just wants the facts, 
Philip is your guy. All right? If you're the person that you use the phrase a lot, can we just get to the bottom line here? I mean, honestly, or maybe you like to tell us what the bottom line is. I know a few people like that. Like we're telling a story or you're telling, no, 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 let me just get to the bottom line. Here's, here's how this is going to work out. This is Philip. And so Philip's like, all these people are here. What do you expect us to do? He, he just says a fortune, 200 days worth of wages are not going to be enough to feed all of these people. And it's interesting to me as I was reading over this 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 last week, that the Bible says Jesus did this circumstance, did this miracle that we're about to see to test Philip. See, I've heard this story since I was really young and on the flannel graph, it's all about Andrew and what Andrew's about to do. It's really all about Jesus, but Andrew is the disciple that people talk about in this story. And I just find it interesting that Philip is the one who first comes to Jesus and that Jesus is allowing Philip, the just the facts, bottom line guy, and you know who you are in the room, to be tested by this circumstance. So what do we know about Andrew? Well, Andrew was perhaps the first disciple. He was formerly a disciple of John the Baptist. And when he first heard about Jesus, and it seems like these are really close to each other, so it's hard to know, was he very first or, or how this worked? But when Andrew first heard about Jesus, he goes right away and gets his brother, Simon Peter. He's always known as Simon Peter's brother, but Simon Peter wouldn't be who he is, the follower of Jesus, if his brother Andrew had not gone and got him. But Andrew, when he heard Jesus, he understood something is different here. And so he was compelled to go and invite the person, one of the people for sure that he loved the most in the world to come hear about Jesus. And so Andrew goes and he does what he likes to do. He brings someone to Jesus. And of the sea of people, 5,000 we know from the gospel writers, one of the gospel writers said it was 5,000 men and there were additional women and children. And this sea of people Andrew finds a little boy. We know from the word that John uses that this kid was probably between the ages of six and 10, and he's got five loaves and two fish. Now he's got five barley loaves. Here's what you need to understand about barley. Barley is the food for the animals or the poor. There's actually a saying you can find in the first century where someone were to say to you, hey, the barley harvest was really good this year. The correct response is, well, that's good news for the donkeys. So here is an elementary age kid who's got five barley loaves, maybe large crackers, maybe rolls, not whole loaves of bread, even though if he had had whole loaves of bread, it still wouldn't have done what needed to be done. But just, we think kind of five loaves and two fish. And he's around the Sea of Galilee, so fish makes sense. I mean, he could have bought something off the side of the road, already roasted, already grilled, whatever. John uses a word that the other gospel writers don't use. It's kind of interesting. And since he's writing from the front row, I kind of pay attention to this. John basically uses a word that means like relish. So we've got five rolls and fish relish. This is awesome, right? Some of you are thinking, this is not awesome. But for people around the Sea of Galilee, this was a snack, but it was a snack truly for the poor. But what are we to do with this, Andrew says, among so many? What does a poor elementary age boy snack have to do with feeding 5,000 people? And the scriptures say Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. 
So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And if you were to keep reading on even one more verse, this is the moment where everybody now wants Jesus to be king. For I think this is the reason all four gospel writers capture this. When the people see what he has just done, and at first, I'm sure not everybody knew what was going on. It's like, who catered the meal and why didn't they get something else? But instead, they begin to find out, hey, this little, there's a kid who brought a snack and he's, can you imagine? He's just breaking and breaking. It just keeps going and going and going. And the people seeing this, they're going, that's it. If you're the guy that can do this, you're the one that we've been waiting for. We want you to be the king. And so they were going to force him to be king, but he retreats even further. But everyone is fired up at this. I mean, what a moment. What a day. What a story. What a, what a miracle. An incredible demonstration of his power. The impossible happened. On this day, it was a day unlike any other. And I want you to know how it started out. You see, some days earlier, the stepdaughter of Herod Antipas, the wicked wicked ruler, his stepdaughter had done a seductive dance for him. And he enjoyed the dance so much that he said to her, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so she does something kind of smart. She goes and asks her mom, why would she do that? Because the guy who's just said, I'll give you whatever you want, is the same guy who killed her dad, who happened to be his brother. This is a bad dude. What do I say? I mean, I'm glad he's pleased, but what do I say? And so the mom says, why don't you ask him for something he wants to do already? So she thought, a little bit of hesitancy, but he follows through. Why don't you ask him for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter? This was some days earlier. On the morning of the day that Jesus feeds these 5,000 people, it's the morning that he finds out this news about John the Baptist. Say, what's the big deal? John the Baptist is his first cousin. Certainly, at some point, in some way, a childhood friend. He's the, he's the one who's gone before Jesus with his teaching. He's the one whose scriptures say, prepared the way for Jesus. He's the one who Jesus said, this is the greatest guy who's ever lived. So they're tight. There's a mystery about Jesus that it's hard to understand. He's, he's 100% God. He's, he's fully God. He has that nature. But he's also... man. He's fully man. He's got all the emotions. He's got will. He's got intellect. He he grows in these things. He's got everything but a sin nature according to scripture. And so somehow in some way, although maybe he already in some way knew what was going on, however he reacted to this news about John the Baptist, it took a visible toll on him. How do we know that? Because he tried to get away. He tried to retreat. In fact, one of the gospel writers says that the disciples asked him, pleaded with him to come on and get away. 
He reacted to this in such a visible way. Matthew 14 says, Now when he heard this about John the Baptist's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they kept coming. They kept following. Mark adds another little detail to this moment. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had had no leisure even to eat. The... the, People are coming and going. Jesus keeps doing what he's doing. He tries to retreat. He tries to get away. People keep following. He retreats some more. People keep, keep following. And I think it's fascinating. Mark, who is taking into account and writing down what Peter is telling him to write down as far as a gospel writer, Peter is saying, listen, I just want all you guys to know before we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, we're the ones who haven't eaten. These people will be fine. But the disciples have been working and working and working and following Jesus and dealing with all these thousands of people who are following him. And we haven't had anything to eat. And Matthew 14 says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. On this day when he's retreating, he's trying to get away. He has compassion. He just can't help himself. Mark says he sees people like, as sheep without a shepherd. That's how he looked at them. And now it's the end of the day and they're in a desolate place and Jesus just says to the disciples, you can't just send these people away. You've got to give them something. How can I give and give and give of myself when I feel completely empty and I've got really nothing to give? And all we found are five rolls and some fish relish. Jesus just says, bring them to me. This is amazing the things we can see about Jesus already in this story. He has compassion in even the simplest of moments. His plans are always great. His plans are always to prosper us, not to harm us, give us hope and a future. And your not enough is more than he needs. In fact, your not enough may turn out to be someone else's much more. What has God given to you? that he wants to use as part of his story. I love a story I've already heard from our our ladies in Guatemala this week. Pastor Brian was sharing with with me earlier. They're sitting around one night, debrief after being out in these villages during the day. And one of them starts out by just saying, I feel completely inadequate. I feel like I have nothing to give. And each one of them, one at a time, that's how I feel that's how I feel. That's how I feel. But yet, each one of them, one by one, can now come back and say, God used me in this moment with this life. I never saw it coming. I didn't know he could use me this way. And they come back collectively with 115, 120 people coming and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. The trajectory of a whole population is different because a group of women were willing to say, I don't feel like I've got what it takes, but Jesus, you do. So I'm going to put this in your hands. That's powerful. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do with the chocolate in your pocket, but I believe that if you will give it to him, It has the opportunity, the potential in the hands of Jesus to be transformational into generations to come. That's why we get so excited about Easter around here. That's why we're so excited every week because we know 
that today and every Sunday for going on 19 years, that there's someone here today for the first time. And can I tell you, we started this church for you. And if you're here today and you're not sure how Jesus feels about you, you've not heard this message before, we started this church for you. And he's got plans for you and he loves you and he wants to call you his own and he wants to make you a part of his story. It's amazing how God can use us when we're willing to push... Put a little bit in his hands. In Matthew 14, 20, it says, They all ate, all these thousands of people, they ate and were satisfied. I love that. They were asking for seconds and they got it. I mean, Jesus is breaking this stuff off and he didn't say, Has everyone got a little? He keeps breaking it off until everyone is full. And then look what happens at the end. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Circle the word if you're marking up your Bible right now, broken pieces. In John 6, 12, he says leftover fragments. And again, I don't think these details are accidental, but particularly this one because it's recorded by every single gospel writer. They all say something about the broken pieces. The broken pieces filled up 12 baskets. I don't think it's hidden prophecy. I don't think it has anything to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. I think it has everything to do with like what Peter told Mark. I just want you guys to know at the beginning of all this, before he fed all of these people, we were starving. We had had nothing to eat. And I think as the disciples look back on this story, as they close their eyes and they think about this story in their mind's eye, they picture these baskets full of leftover fragments that gave them more than they realized that they, would ever, they were ever going to get on this day. Even our broken pieces can be used by God to meet needs. That's amazing. You may be experiencing or have experienced tremendous heartache and loss or tragedy. You may be trampled on. You may have overwhelming needs or come across overwhelming circumstances that have just left you kind of stalled out, lying in, in waste. But your brokenness in the hands of Jesus can be turned into a miracle. Even your brokenness can meet the needs of others. And when you watch your brokenness be used to meet the needs of someone else, it will leave you in a sense of awe and wonder of God unlike anything else. What a day, what an impossible day. And that wasn't the end of it. After feeding all of these people, Jesus tries to get away again and he seemingly gets a little bit of time. And what happens? Actually, what happens is the story that Pastor Brian shared with us last week. He looks out onto the Sea of Galilee and there are his disciples struggling to keep a fishing boat afloat in the storm. Jesus has got to be thinking, what's a guy got to do to get a break around here? I put fishermen in a boat. You'd think they could handle it. But instead, just as the way he had looked at those people, he looked at his disciples, obviously, with compassion. Think about these poor guys. I mean, it's another impossible moment on what must seem like an impossible day. Don't you just wish your circumstances would take a break for a while? Like, have you ever said that? Like, where is the deserted island that we all keep talking about? And why is it that none of us have found it? Why can't we just go to that place? Circumstances don't take a break. You don't have a flat tire day or a day when the nurse calls. Those things happen at the same time. 
Yet in the midst of the storm, Jesus walks right out onto the water to help his followers again when they need him. Listen, it is only on our impossible days that we can truly discover that he is the one who makes all things possible. If you're in a small group, and I hope you are, I hope you guys this week will read all of of chapter six. And if you look down at chapter six, verse 22, we're not gonna read it right now, but the people, when they had left Jesus the day before, they knew that the disciples got into a boat and that he went another way entirely. And so now it's the next morning and they found his disciples and Jesus is there with them. And people are asking, how did he get here? Because the night before is the night that he walked on water. And I imagine at this point, John is just thinking, listen, I'm going to write this down for y'all, but there's, I can't even tell you what's going on right now. You're going to have to read the book one day and y'all can talk about it. But this was really amazing what he did. Well, we know about the fish and bread thing. Yeah, that was cool, but you, don't, you wouldn't believe what he did last night. And that's how he ended up here. And people are asking him, Jesus, what's the deal? What's going on? And so he answers them and he answers them in such a way that it explains the fish and the bread miracle and what he was up to all along in the first place. He takes them back. He says, do you remember the Exodus story? Have you seen the movie with Charlton Heston? Everybody, yeah, we've seen the movie, Jesus. What, what's the deal? He said, do you remember the story in Exodus when the people left Egypt and they get out of Egypt? Actually, there's a further part after the movie where it says that in the Bible that the people ate little bits of bread that came down from heaven. It was called manna. The word manna means what is it? Because the people eating it didn't even know what it was. But it was edible and they were hungry. And so God provided this for them every single day. Jesus says, you'll never have to ask what is it again. Verse 32, we pick it up. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, what do we have to do to understand, and to understand what's happening right here? What do we have to do to understand you? Believe in me. Believe that I'm the one sent from God. What do we have to do in order to be able to do the things that you do? That's what disciples, we're, we're supposed to be able to do whatever you can do. And Jesus said, you know, there's coming a time. If you believe in me, you will do greater, broader, more expansive work because I'm going to give you my spirit. But don't focus on what I give you. Focus on me. I know you've got crazy, impossible overwhelming circumstances in your life. But don't focus on that. Don't focus just on getting answers. Focus on me. When you need a miracle, don't come for the what. Come to the who. I'm all that you need. I love how Pastor John Piper talks about this whole chapter, this whole day together. He says it as if he's in Jesus' voice. He says, and now I have done another miracle for you, Jesus would say. I have shown you that 
In the dark, in the storm, I will let nothing separate me from you. I will walk on water to be with you. And when you take me into your boat with joy, we will arrive at our desired haven. So whether the story is about being rescued from hunger by making bread or being rescued from wind by walking on water, the point is, I don't just give bread, I am bread. I don't just make the wind stop, I get into the boat. He will always find a way. It just most likely will not be in the way that you expected. For the bottom line people, for the detail people, for those of you that feel like you've got it all figured out, and if you've got enough resources, then we can, okay, and if we call the caterer, if we get everybody organized, then we can get the thing done. Just just give me everything that we need. What are you going to do with that little measly thing? What in the world is that? Well, Jesus is going to take care of what you need. There's just a good chance it's not going to be in the way that you expected. Because that wouldn't make for a good teaching at all. That wouldn't make for a good story. If you could figure this out on your own, you wouldn't be pointed to him. When you think you've got God all figured out, When you think you've heard the story before and you know the ending, look again. Look again at Jesus. Consider again what it is that he's trying to teach us, what it is that he's trying to show us. Even when things you think are going one direction and they end up going a completely different way. Today is Palm Sunday. In Mark 11, verse 4, talks a little bit about this day. He says, they, some disciples, went outside. They found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. They untied it. Some of the people standing by said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said, we're just doing what Jesus told us to do. And so they gave him permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and they put their coats on it and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. He's finally going to do it. He's finally going to be the king. A little over a year ago, we were sitting on a hillside and we were starving and he gave us something to eat. And on that day, we wanted him to be king, but he went away. He didn't seem to want to do it that day. But here he comes riding on a donkey. And so we grab our branches. We say, Hosanna, which means save us now. Finally, it's happening. In a week that started out one way, by the end of the week had gone very differently than what everyone anticipated. In fact, by three o'clock on Friday, it seemed like it would never be possible for him to be king. If you want to know the God who makes all things possible, then you're going to encounter the impossible. And it may be three o'clock on Friday in your life right now. The moment when Jesus has just said, it is finished, and he breathed his last breath and hung there on that cross until they took him down. It may be bleak and dark in your life right now. Circumstances may be 
absolutely overwhelming. I have news for you. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. There's no resurrection without death. And the God who makes all things possible and all things new just leaves the impossible behind. Through these stories, through your life, look again at Jesus and be in wonder and in awe of him fresh and new. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? This was the story, this was the moment recorded by all four gospels where the people who were following Jesus wanted him to be king. Set up your kingdom right now. But he had something greater in mind. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that by the power of the spirit of God that maybe you've been compelled in this moment to make him your savior and Lord. If you would but pray in your heart right now, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, the scriptures say. If you would pray and say, God, I was not expecting this today. I was not expecting this pull in my heart and my life today. But I know what I'm supposed to do right now. And I'm not going to resist you anymore. I know that in this moment, I'm supposed to call on the name of Jesus to put all my faith, all my trust in him that I might be saved. I believe you sent your one and only son, Jesus, for me. I believe that his blood on that cross covered all my sins, all my shortcomings, all the things that I mess up. And I've, I turn and change my mind from trying to do it all on my own. And I give my life completely to you. I'm going in your direction now, God. Help me to follow you. If you've prayed in your own words to put your faith and trust in Christ today, would you please come and talk with one of our prayer team members after the service? They'll be on either side of the stage. Take that Get Connected card that we gave you when you came in if you want. You can take it, fill it out, carry it to the help center. But please do not leave this place. The Spirit of God is tugging on your heart. For the believers in Jesus today with heads bowed and eyes closed, our hope through this entire series is that you would look at Jesus and that you would have a renewed sense of awe and wonder that would compel you to follow him, to chase after him in ways that you never have before. And there may be some obstacles that have been in your way preventing you from doing that. Would you lay those things at his feet and let him make all things new in your life, refreshed, renewed again? God, I pray for your people today. God, you have throughout this renewed my sense of awe and wonder at stories that I've looked at seemingly hundreds of times. I don't know how many times, God, in my life. And yet they're fresh because you continue to reveal yourself to us, God. When we seek you, we find you. And so, God, we continue to seek you. Would you encourage, would you strengthen, would you correct our thinking Would you give us the courage to follow you and point others to you? And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.